0: everybody, welcome to Narrative on a Tuesday night. It's good to be with you. I'm Zev Shalev, Heidi Kuda is in LA. How are you, Heidi?
1: I am wonderful. I love how we just crash and burn and go live. It's so exciting.
0: (laughs) What she means by crashing is that we just finished putting the show together a few seconds ago, but it's a good one. Stick with us, it's gonna be really good. We have Jen Taub here, who's the author of Big Dirty Money You've heard of the book before, she's been a guest on the show before, but we never really had a chance to go into her book because we were talking about all the other things that were going on in the news. Tonight, we're going to explore all the dirty deeds that have happened in American business and American politics, which have corrupted our legal system and what can be done about that. So uh, it's going to be a fascinating conversation, Jenny, is amazing, and we'll be happy happy to take your questions and comments. And Heidi will be on both the Twitter chats and the YouTube chats, making sure that she's getting all those questions. And Heidi, coming up later, uh, we've also got a lot of news that is gonna be of interest to people involving the Epic Hack, which is an interesting thing. And all of that is coming up in the starting block, which is happening. And there is a lot of news going on today. And I wanted to begin with Charles Balsman. you remember this is the Russian gentleman. He's actually American, but he's lived in Russia for 30 years and he moved to Pennsylvania in 2018 in what must be some sort of disinformation campaign on behalf of the Russian government or the Russian Orthodox Church or something allied to the Russian state. Charles Balsman, in for all intents and purposes, is an agent of disinformation sent here by the Russians. And he started this organization there called Russia Insider, which is a news organization basically promoting Putin propaganda and Putin pro-Russian ideas and views. And we've exposed him on narrative since the start of the season as being not only a participant of uh, the Capitol riots or the insurrection on January the 6th, but actually there inside the capital and also organizing the event in the days and weeks leading up to january the 6th we've seen him with uh, sean moon of the moonies we've seen him organize events in pennsylvania to stop the steal we know that on january the 3rd three days before the event he was hosting the moonies on the same day that the key instigators of the insurrection were having a meeting in the same town we assume that means he and moon and everybody else went to that meeting It's been a really interesting few days as we've been discovering, um, a few weeks actually, as we've been discovering exactly what he's been doing and also played you on Friday the first video of him at the Capitol on January the 6th. I'm going to play a little bit of that so you get a sense of what we're talking about. little bit is just a, a little description of what we're about to see which i've told you already now barsman is in the next shot you'll see him around the pillar in the capital We the cameras are being streamed live on parlor and they've been captured uh live on as a live stream So that, that is Bausman over there. He's by the arrow. And as we zoom in a little closer, you get a better sense of who he is. And finally, the shot that it was able to identify him for the open source researchers that was the close up that got us the, the news. And this is him a little bit later on, also wandering around, shooting video. So it's pretty compelling stuff. Like, why is there a Russian disinformation agent wandering around the Capitol on January the 6th, shooting video, apparently live streaming? You know, what was he doing involved in the organization? Why was he there as part of the Stop the Steal movement in Pennsylvania. You know, he's not the only Russian that was there on January the 6th, there's a few of them. But it does seem to me like his role is particularly different because he used to live in Moscow. And then on 28, 2018, he decided to move back to America, where he spent two years until January the 7th or thereabouts when he left the country. And we've been able to find new tape of him in an interview that's been dug up on the internet, which shows him explaining to another Russian propagandist, really, what he's all about. These clips are incredibly revealing about what his ideals are and also why he came to the United States. And the first one talks about how he sees the advantages of Russian culture. So this is Bausman in his own words. The
2: people, Russians here are very, you know, nationalistic about Russians as a a race and as an ethnicity. And um, they've got a lot of other ethnicities in the country, but um, they don't have any problem with saying we don't want them to be in control or want them to be too many of them and we want this place to be white and russian and christian yeah. and you know for us white russian christians be-
0: so that's uh, i don't know heidi what your take on that is to me it's pretty uh, revealing that his whole agenda was not just about russia it was about you know white russia and white christianity in russia
1: this has been a very busy man, and what that little small clip just identified is everything that we've been saying, Dave Troy's been saying, and Nelson's been saying about why the extreme right wing has been tied to the Kremlin, been tied to Russia. They like that idea of this you know white society. Let's face it, that's exactly what he's been touting, along with all the other propaganda points that he's been making.
0: Yes, because we also reported for the first time that he hosted the launch event for the National Justice Party, which was a basically is a neo-Nazi party, and he hosted them at his barn in Pennsylvania. So, you know, he's not only has an affinity for these people; he's helping them move their organization, grow their organizations, launch their organization by giving them accommodation, by giving them a facility to launch their event, which I'm sure no one else would do. And he's also really interesting on the topic of democracy. This is from that same interview where he discusses how he views democracy.
2: And what they've definitely done is they've uh, rejected democracy. Now, I, I, they wouldn't be happy for me to say that because that I say that because they um, they make a big deal about you know their elections and they claim that we're a democratic country. But that is definitely a fig leaf. Um, and it's very interesting that uh, many, many Russians Think democracy is ridiculous and stupid and a fraud and a fake and something that should that that just doesn't work and shouldn't be used as a way to govern the country. Um, and it's openly discussed here on the talk shows. Uh, there are a lot of monarchists in Russia. Um, the the Russian Church uh, is very powerful and very you know influential, uh, and they're mostly they're straight up monarchists.
0: That's an interesting theme because we know he actually works for the uh, oligarch. Not directly works for the oligarch, but he's connected to Konstantin Milofiev, the oligarch who's very close to the Russian Orthodox Church and who organizes their charities and funds all their weird events around the world that are basically fronts for anti-LGBT organizations. So it's revealing that he's so talkative about the Russian Orthodox Church, but it is also tells us that the Russians are. Really given up on democracy, which I don't know if that's true, but it's certainly something that Putin would want Americans to believe about Russia.
1: It's very sinister seed planting propaganda. And every weekend in America, there's a group of people going around saying the same thing that our mm-hmm. democracy is broken, and you know, uh, love your leader Trump, and don't take your vaccines and everything that he's saying and all the propaganda that he pushes again is encapsulated I think in those clips and it really gives us an insight into what is happening right now at all the events that people like Jim Stewartson are bringing us every day to show us what the Mike Flins are saying and the Simone Golds are saying and right there he said it. And for me, knowing that he's at the insurrection and he's an American citizen allegedly, I hear those words and I, I, I don't see how that's not treasonous. So
0: he, yeah, he doesn't hold democratic values, that's for sure. You know, the other thing he says in that interview, which I thought found really revealing, is that he talks about not being so much about an online publication, but about being a movement. So, you know, he obviously came here with the intention to stir up a movement which is, you know, white nationalistic and anti-Semitic in tone, and then also rile up people in Pennsylvania, which of course is a a swing state, ahead of the elections and after the elections to, you know, to argue the stop the steal thing. So, and then obviously the, the video of him at the insurrection, just stunning to see you know, Putin's guy wandering around the the capital, taking video as uh, the place is being ripped apart by those insurrectionists. It's a really, really interesting um, video. We'll stay on the story. It's a big story for us, yeah. and we'll keep it going here for you on narrative. But in other news today, I gather there's some information about the Grisham book, I was going to say, but it sounds like another author. We're actually talking about the uh, White House communications director or the former White House communications director. Yes,
1: Stephanie Grisham, who worked as the uh, press secretary, uh, wrote a book called I'll Take Your Questions Now, LOL, a little bit late. And one of the really revealing things in that was the uh note that she identified when uh, trump met putin in osaka at the g20 and said off camera i'm gonna act a little bit tough you know with you right now for the camera obviously you vote in a reality tv guy this is what you get so that was one of the real shocking things that came out of that
0: yeah he was putting on a show that's for sure I remember the first time he came out with in helsinki with putin it was a pretty embarrassing thing Hey, look, the time's passed so quickly because we played those two long clips. I'm going to go right to Jen because otherwise, uh, you know, we're going to run out of time with her. And I want to make sure that we're getting as much of our interview with Jennifer Taub. Taub, I'm always getting this wrong, and I'm, I just give up. Because, um, <laughs> hi, Jen. How are you?
3: <laughs> hi, Zev. Let's keep it at the one syllable first name, and then we're
0: good. You know, it's got to do with my South African accent because as Heidi was telling me earlier, it's all. Uh, how do you say all? You yes. said all, right? What? Oh, sure. Oh. Oh, oh. oh, you say ah, oh, and it's like oh,
3: oh, I'm yeah. from the Midwest, oh, <laughs> as opposed to oh, um, ow, it's not yes. ow, no one hurt you, it's oh, it's all like oh. you're saying about it. Like, like, what a cute baby, what would you say if you saw a cute baby? Oh,
0: Jen Tob is what you'd say, right?
3: Yes, that's right. Exactly. well but done, it does, but it's
0: not the way I would spell or oh, say oh, oh, anyhow, there you go, it's an African accent thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice to see you again. The paperback is out today, and we're so thrilled you came here on the day that it's coming out. Big, dirty, money is what it's called. Well, it looks different from the other one because it's a white cover and it's really an interesting read. You've added a preface and something else about uh, January the 6th. Tell us a little bit more about what's new in this particular version than the hardcover.
3: Oh yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, so it's kind of um, you know bookended with new information. So there's a new preface um, Mm -hmm. that's almost like a pleading to Merrick Garland to do the right thing. I mean, the book kind of begins with, because, you know, the book was published in October of 2020 before the election, right? So when I did the rewrites for this in the spring of 2021, there was that kind of feeling of relief because Trump wasn't reelected, but it was at that time, you know, 70 days, when I put the final edits in, 70 days after, after he took office on January 20th, and I was at that time hoping that Merrick Garland would remember what he said uh, when he, on his first day in office, to all the people at the Justice Department about how no one is above the law and how he was still remembering when he was a younger man early in his career when he went into the Department of Justice. And he felt he looked around and felt so proud to be there because people were doing justice. You know, so I kind of asked him to, you know, it's essentially a plea to him, which is sort of what I'm saying now, which is kind of step up. We have this major con artist who's dangerous to the democracy, who's been getting away with it for so many years. And it, there's a blueprint in place. So that's mm, the beginning of the book. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead.
0: Tell us about what's uh, what else is at the end. That's the,
3: At the end. So the epilogue is called Crime After Trump. And before before there was an after Trump, it was just a hopeful statement that, you know, I hope he's gone, but that he didn't start the current white collar crime wave, and I expect it won't end with him. But with this new paperback, I was able to take a look in the spring of 2021. You know, whatever happened to this corporation or that accused individual white collar criminal? Have they reformed for the people who have, you know, or are they repeat offenders? Surprise, surprise, these companies are still getting into trouble. And then as for the accused, In in one case, Elizabeth Holmes. No, she's not yet in jail. In fact, she's still on trial, merely accused of a crime, and we'll see what the jury will do. So it was really interesting to you know take another snapshot of these companies like General Motors, like the uh, Purdue Pharma, which is the Sackler family, Mm. like PG and E, Wells Fargo,
0: and we'll get into each of those as we go through this hour. So that's what the book provides. You know, an update essentially. When we last met. I hadn't read your book because you, you'd you come to the after show and you were talking about all this other Trump stuff that we were doing. <laughs> and you told me that when I read it, I'm gonna be really mad. <laughs> I'm gonna get really, really angry. And an infuriating read because it seems <laughs> like if you're rich, I mean, it's a brilliant read and it's amazingly researched and I love it, but it just says to everybody that if you're wealthy and if you're involved in a certain kind of elite world, you can get away with crimes and profit handsomely from it that it's really a two-tier system
3: you know i guess i have a little more hope than that mm. um in that yes that's a current state of affairs um usually right the exception proves the rule mm. of that but i think we can look in this book at periods of time when there was a commitment from the highest from the president and the department of justice to crack down on white collar criminals and I am. You probably know I'm not a Republican. I'm a Democrat. But it just so happens that the examples in our history, I have to be honest, were under Republican presidents.
1: Mm. It
3: was it was George Bush senior who engaged in the crackdown on the accounting fraud scandals. Now, I should also say, if you go back farther in history, we get to FDR and FDR. Was amazing. You know, he was from the same class as the bankers who crashed the economy then, but he did not interfere with the prosecution of Charles Mitchell, the head of National City, who went to jail for tax evasion. So I just saw today, Kevin Cruz, the uh, history professor from Princeton, when I was talking about Charlie Mitchell, he uh, did a screenshot from a piece I think he wrote for Vanity Fair saying that when Roosevelt was asked about Charles Mitchell, he said, I felt like he, he was stealing my money. That's how Roosevelt identified with the public, regardless of his class background, and you know that can happen. Unfortunately, I'm losing patience and hope when it comes to Merrick Garland, as the statute of limitations keeps sticking on Trump, in particular, but also yeah. white collar crime generally. I don't see any of it being a priority at all.
0: Right. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, let's talk about both of those things. You've got you know the fact that we had a president in in power here who is you know a corrupt criminal mobster. You know, that has never happened before, presumably, yeah? That's what we know of. And it, you know, that in itself seems like the, you know, like the ultimate sign of the decay of rule of law. But then this other piece that you just mentioned that, you know, it doesn't seem to be changing that much. There's not really, not only is there not a crackdown of the administration or Donald Trump, but there's not a crackdown in general against sort of big white collar criminals.
3: It's so funny that you're saying this because you're making me mad right now. <laughs> I mean, I researched this, but every, I think what sustains my ability to be interested in this topic is it's enraging, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And let's just take, take it into two pieces. In terms of white collar criminals generally, you know, when uh, the Attorney General laid out what his priorities were, this wasn't one of the topics. And if people cannot see a connection between white collar criminality or criminal tax evasion, for example, and um inequality and corruption and public corruption then i don't know what they're looking at so i think mm-hmm. you know there was a way to make this a priority it's not there it's a, i think joe biden's priority he talked in one of his his first joint address to congress he talked about cracking down on tax evaders you know and i know the democrats are looking to fund the irs or at least most of them are Unfortunately, not Richie Neal, um, mm-hmm. who is a, who's head of the House Ways and Means. But that's a separate issue. You've got to make this stuff a priority. But separately, back to Donald Trump, the more I think about it, the more I think it is absolutely essential that Merrick Garland immediately, because it's already getting, now we're over six months mm-hmm. since he's been in his, his seat. He joined, what, March 10th, he was sworn in? I think so late, um, we're, but we're still. Almost getting, we're, we're getting to seven months almost, mm-hmm. yeah? Here, here's the problem. He needs to appoint a special counsel to look at all of the alleged criminal, criminal behavior of Donald Trump during his time in office. And the reason why I say special counsel is there is a major conflict of interest staring us in the face. That is this. Hmm. Garland is allowing his Justice Department lawyers to represent Donald Trump in the defamation lawsuit that rape victim E. Jean Carroll brought against Donald Trump. This right. was something Bill Barr's attorney Bill Barr wanted to do, and Garland is continuing to do that representation. I have never heard of a situation where you can represent a client hmm. in one case and then prosecute them, or even right. even so doesn't seem like a you know, it, that doesn't make any sense. Secondly, you know, I'm very nervous about doing nothing about the very clear blueprint to an obstruction of justice indictment
0: right um, smaller left behind i mean um, it's very clear and then,
3: what list, intended. Right? Yeah. And, and then so you know i'm sure you've probably already spoken about it on your show and ranted about it when no one's listening but this weekend donald trump admitted that he had a corrupt intent when it came to the georgia right. the, the presidential election in georgia you know i am waiting for charges to be brought under you know our our conspiracy to defraud the United States, 18 U.S.C. 371. This is a perfect case there are other
0: or other or
3: possibilities here.
0: Mary yeah. Garland is not seeing it as a conflict of interest, and he has no intention of prosecuting Donald Trump or anybody else. And he's going to defend you know Donald Trump wherever he goes. I mean, it's it does seem pretty nerve wracking and suspicious to me that it's taking this long. Although people tell me that RICO investigations and those kinds of things take a long time and and settle down. This will, this will happen. Is there any truth to that?
3: You know look investigations need to be done carefully and methodically but you can also send signals that you're taking stuff seriously and mm. i think it was ridiculous that the department decided to represent trump in the carroll case um i think there are ways that you can you can give speeches you can do other things to signal and i don't see it that way and i actually am very worried mm. that merrick garland believes the same thing that bill barr does i think he might believe that a president under Article 2 of the Constitution can never be prosecuted for obstruction. I, I just th- think that he might believe that. And that, that's is, the only...
0: That's just a ahead. memo. Like, is that is that true? Is that a... What do you think of that particular understanding of that article? Like, is that I, an accurate... Is there, is there some truth not, in that?
3: Look, well, does it matter, you know, so the, here's the thing about law. I'm a mm. legal realist. And mm. what, you know, what the judges say is the law ends up being the law. And in this case, we have a... We have a memo that Barr wrote before he became the attorney general. But we also, if you may remember, we also got a kind of unredacted version of the internal memo that Barr kind of in his that people constructed right around the same day Barr put out that phony letter trying to make it look like the Mueller report was clean. Remember right. this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, we kind of because the judge let part of that come out. And what we found out is that in the preamble to that letter, you can kind of piece it together, what this means is there's an official Department of Justice memo that's still on file that hasn't been superseded that obviously is the same thing that Barr said before he got the job that they don't believe regardless even if you could make out a prima facie case of obstruction of, of you know agency proceedings which is what it would have been in this case and so on that it would not matter because as president, as the executive branch, he can hire and fire whoever he wants, even if the motive is to interfere with an agency proceeding or whatever. You, know, you can look at all the other incidents. That is still on file, the Justice Department. And if I were the attorney general, I would make sure that I made some sort of statement that that memo is no longer officially the position of the department. Right. And Here's why I would do it. I don't want Biden obstructing justice,
0: right, right, right. I Good would point.
3: write a memo to the president that I would let the press say saying, you know, hey, Joe, don't think you can do this stuff. You know what I mean? But right. I would say it in legal. You have to way. say
0: you have to be able to set a, a standard. And you're right. He hasn't retracted that. He hasn't said in any way that that's no longer the case. We've not seen much movement in any way in terms of arresting any of the leaders, like the real leaders, you know, the Roger Stones and Michael Flynn's of the world in January the sixth. And then as you pointed out there's the statute of limitations which is slowly ticking away on cases like stormy daniels and michael cohen which you know the first deadline i think is the the safest deadline is coming up on october 14th that doesn't look like it's going to uh, it's going to result in anything it doesn't look like anything's going to be done there michael cohen spent a lot of time in jail
3: yeah i mean i think that um i love that you mentioned the october 14th date so for those watching you may remember that that was when michael cohen had made payments hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and this is one of the things that can, you know it, this is out of out of the, those set of facts is why Michael Cohn ended up pleading guilty to many felonies and when he appeared before the court entering in his guilty plea and in the documentation around that guilty plea there was someone a co-conspirator called individual 1 and we all knew that was donald trump and no charges were brought against donald trump in connection with that so when you talk about the campaign finance fraud you know most federal crimes have a five-year statute of limitations and you call it the safest date it's a safest date because usually a statute of limitations the clock usually you know it starts ticking when the crime is committed it could start ticking a bit later if it was something that was hard to discover right or that you couldn't have discovered until earlier but you never you know a good prosecutor
1: there's no need kind of to wait, wait though.
0: they know the case they've really done all the work on it I mean what's new here
3: yeah. well he wrote check remember when Donald yeah. Trump reimbursed yeah. Cohn for legal but there's enough here I believe to bring this case so you know I'm, I should probably after we get off of this show mark my calendar yeah. uh for the Ides of October yeah. and then you know <laughs> It's true. It's coming. Out. I think that
0: a lot of people are going to be watching that date. There was a, a note as well from the uh, Grisham book today that related to Stormy Daniels. So for a levity moment here, I'm going to throw this in. Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, Heidi, maybe you can tell, if you must tell us what <laughs> this says. Sorry to throw you in here. But Grisham tells the story of Donald Trump calling her up and saying, no, my penis does not look like a toadstool. Right. I mean, that's basically the story.
1: Yes, because, you know, when you're on Air Force One and you need to talk to your press secretary, of course, you're going to call her to defend your manhood. And this goes back to having a Carney me... slash guy with weird mob ties as your president. But yes, that is our lulls moment. I threw that in there
3: because <laughs> uh, we
1: needed that palate cleanser. I have some stuff I'd love to yeah. run past Jen. Number Go one. Ahead she's absolutely right garland has to signal something because all the messages i'm getting from our viewers are losing hope losing hope he's never going to be held accountable uh that's number one number two there is a laundry list of civil and criminal cases that could already be brought and as Jen also said during our um, earlier conversation is that Garland needed to uh, appoint a special counsel right away and just Mm. start blitzing Trump with these lawsuits. That signals to the rest of the world that we're still a country of law and order. And the the last thing I'll say is that I really do think our country took a real hit when Ford pardoned Nixon. I think that that signaled, hey, if you're corrupt, this might be the job for you and um, that's my big concern still as we talk about these issues today.
0: I'm really interested in the special counsel, And but let's talk about any of those that you want to pick up. But, I'm, but let's also talk about that special counsel idea, which is a, such a good idea.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, um, can we just talk about Nixon? Because yeah, sure. um, Nixon resigned though, you know?
0: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> he had the helicopter man, <laughs> he never got that with Donald. I mean, uh,
3: Nixon gave us, you know, clean air and clean water you know i mean i i i don't mean to be singing his praises he was also gave us the southern strategy (laughs) and turned the republican party into the white supremacist nightmare that it's become i mean he but he makes newt gingrich and trump um look much worse uh than him i'm saying it the wrong way that you know they make him look like um just small you know small potatoes but you know the special counsel idea isn't mine alone i've seen people talk about it but i wasn't I didn't really put it together as a really good signaling device and also as an ethical obligation at this point. And I'm not looking for, you know, a special counsel just to run the clock. I mean, there's some, you know, but I think that the reason why people don't trust the Department of Justice when it comes to this is because in part the process, it has to be secretive, right? But also because as Heidi said, there's no good messaging. You know, there's no, you know, the trouble is, I mean, Garland is an extremely bright man. I mean, I mean, that's an understatement, but he comes from the world of judging. And judges speak through their written documentation. And they don't have to, the way they communicate to each other, the way, if they are, you know, wrong, then they get overturned by a judge in writing. Right. Right. it's a very cerebral in, and you don't have to and then the public just you know picks up the paperwork reads it and then you know journalists will translate it for the rest of us he doesn't live in and judges are supposed to like be draw am I'm, I'm making a stereotype here but they're not supposed to be like they're almost like he almost sees himself just in that way as and judges talk about themselves as the court right yeah. they're not a person well he's now in a in a role of leadership in charge of an entire department of thousands of people and also the chief you know legal officer of the entire country of hundreds of millions of people this is not a job where you could just put something in writing and everyone's like oh you know yeah, thank you that. sage exactly. this is a complete you know and for me i always believe all of us have strengths and shortcomings and there was this great book and i'm trying to the, think of the, uh, it was a, a business book that and there's some business guru came to my job when I used to work at Fidelity Investments. And I really like this idea of pairing people with strengths and deficits and try to sort of making people improve in areas that they just can't. Mm -hmm. Like someone who's a super sales guy, A-plus at sales, bad at paperwork. You're never going to make him good at paperwork. Pair him with someone who's like meticulous. And I think that Garland's meticulous and brilliant, but he needs to be paired with people who can make, you know, like a press person who can make better public statements. Mm -hmm. And he needs to be paired with people who can understand emotional judgments and how people are going to be reacting to what he is doing i think he's just not getting it um he's but not, then underneath he doesn't it all, light up the
0: screen in any way i mean he sort of when he does do those press statements it's hard to watch it's a it's a very you know tough long winded explanation of what's going on that doesn't really uh, lend itself to sound bites
3: and you know what, what depresses me a bit is you know he did this good move which i was so happy by <laughs> suing in connection with the texas anti-abortion law mm-hmm. And that was great. And the the, uh, legal theories he offered went beyond just saying this is not consistent with Roe versus Wade and with the Constitution. He went on to some other ideas that will help give the government standing because it's actually injured because the federal government has employees who also need health care, which includes abortion care, and so on. The whole piece is really quite good. But we were just so relieved and so happy and so grateful. I'm thinking, looking back on it, that's the baseline.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I'm still, again, waiting for some sign that Trump will be held accountable. And again, I think the way to do it besides the special counsel is for Garland to rescind the memo to Bill Barr that accompanied the fake statement about the Mueller report, mm-hmm. and he can rescind it by writing, I think, here's the idea, but, you know, Garland's never going to listen to me. So how about this? President <laughs> Biden.
0: Yeah.
3: Hey. Hey, Joe. And hey, whoever works there. I think you're amazing. I am impressed with you and what you've accomplished. I'm particularly impressed with everyone you're appointing to, like the SEC, the CFTC, the new head of the, uh, the new nominee for the OCC. These people are truly the real deal. They're brilliant public servants. I know who a lot of them are because they're from academia and so on. I'm really pleased with what you're doing. I know it's eating you up inside that Garland's moving slowly on this. So here's what you should do. You should ask for an opinion. From your own lawyers, and maybe they can consult with the Department of Mm -hmm. Justice, saying, "Am I allowed to? You know, does the does Article Two permit me to fire a person to look seek to fire a special counsel if you appointed one if they were investigating me? Joe could just ask that and ask for a memo from the Justice Department. Hey, Joe. I mean, hey, President Biden. Do that. Do that. that, And that
0: way, you could prove you could prove what we would know where
3: he stands because if he if he. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, the thing you mentioned about the Texas rape law, I mean, they moved so quickly on that and they are being quite effective in many, many ways. I'm glad that you
3: called it the rape law because it also is a rape law.
0: Yeah, it is. Sorry. No, but it is. It sounds like it. It's it's a horrible law.
3: Forcing someone someone to carry a baby to term is the equivalent of rape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just even if the sex was consensual. This is a woman's body. If you've ever been pregnant and delivered a child, this is not just like it's not a nothing experience. It's not, you know, women should have bodily autonomy, but anyway, go ahead.
0: But they moved so quickly on that and effectively on that. And yet okay. they haven't on Trump. It's, it is scary that they have not made any signs that they're, I don't think they've interviewed him. They've never, um, I don't think right. uh, Roger Stone's been interviewed. I don't think any of these people have really been interviewed for any of these things. Michael Flynn's not been interviewed as far as we know. And I'm sure we'd be we're sure we would know. I feel like they would let us know. If they were doing any of these interviews so it doesn't seem to me like that's going to happen which means and let's say joe biden is not fully enamored with your idea there and doesn't want to do what you're suggesting can the people do something i mean can we sue the ag and say where's our prosecution can we you know can we is it it marches is it what's the thing that the people can do
3: you can get on the phone Mm -hmm. and ask and say you know what you just said zev was so insightful and you know you're right he acted really quickly Mm -hmm. When he realized that women's reproductive rights were in jeopardy and that Roe versus Wade was basically overruled if this could happen in a state. Right. I mean, he doesn't believe it's overruled. So he acted quickly. You know, the fact everyone keeps telling me, don't worry, give him time. Well, no, our democracy is at stake mm-hmm. every single day that since the Mueller report came out till today, if nobody acts on it, there are other examples, of course.
0: He's going to run for president again. He is going to be the candidate next time and he might win. And it's, you know, who knows what happens after that? That doesn't, you know, that doesn't. But you know, it's so
3: interesting. We keep moving in the goalpost. Mm -hmm. He won already. Yeah. He continues to lie about the election results because of his only caring about himself he allowed hundreds of thousands of you know a virus to spread and hundreds of thousands more people that would have died otherwise he's continuing now because he got booed Mm. to downplay the need for the vaccine but you know we are already in a situation where his need to perpetuate the great lie is dividing the country he's destroying us so the idea that we're going to appease him and i just want to use that word deliberately. The reason why Merrick Garland is so important is because he is the chief law enforcement officer. I mean, I'm sure you've heard many people, and I'm sure you've talked about Trump as being comparable to an authoritarian like mm. Mussolini or Hitler, right? We've done that, or yeah. Orban, or whoever you want to choose. And we don't even have to look in the political realm. People keep forgetting to look in the white-collar crime or organized crime realms. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. Do not appease dangerous people in power i mean we are now at the point where i believe donald trump has shot you know hundreds of thousands of people on fifth avenue and we're not doing anything about that we're not doing anything about the insurrection and we have a blueprint from Mueller. why -hmm. did we even wait for that that's an amazingly written document Mm -hmm. i actually read it there's you know what is garland doing what could possibly be taking him so long. It only took me a few days to read it. Mm-hmm. How many exhibits are there? It's been seven months. I don't think he's going to act on it. And I'm, I don't think so I'm getting angry even as I say it.